Hello there, my name is John Caruso and welcome to our podcast, Conversations in Noosa. Thanks for downloading and thanks for listening. You know, when you grow up in a place like Australia, it's easy to take your freedom and your way of life for granted. My guest today grew up in Zimbabwe, where high security fences around your home and armed civilians were the norm. Not to mention Robert Mugabe, who came to power as Prime Minister in 1980. Robert Mugabe was the kind of politician who made statements like, the only white man you can trust is a dead white man. They were volatile times indeed. These days, Ian Pugh, my guest, and his family make a life for themselves in the Noosa hinterland town of Karoi. Ian's a children's book author, copywriter, sub-editor, short filmmaker, and scriptwriter. At the time of recording, Ian had interest in a script titled The Galloper, with a producer shopping the script about Hollywood in California. This is Ian's story. Well, I actually grew up in Zimbabwe. So I was born in Bulawayo in Zimbabwe. was Rhodesia then. And um, we, yeah, we grew up in a small town and we went to um, a boarding school out of town in the middle of the bush and we actually had a fantastic upbringing Um, but then things started to change in Zimbabwe and um, I went down to university in Cape Town had a great time down there did a Bachelor of Arts Uh, English was always my thing and um, and when I went back to Zim I went into advertising for a while um, advertising, I was a copywriter in an ad agency in Harare for a couple of years and then decided I wanted to go traveling. So I actually came to Australia, um, aged early 20s and cruised around in a combi for six months. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. Um, and I just wondered if I'd come back here one day, but um, ended up going back to Cape Town for a while and and then started getting into my own writing. And that's... Um, it was during that period that I started writing my own material. Tell me about that change. You mentioned you, things started to change in, in Zimbabwe. What, what decade are we talking about and how old were you when this was going on? Okay, well, I left school in 1980. And 1980 was the year that um, Rhodesia changed to Zimbabwe. but got its independence. Mugabe came into power. And um, it actually looked pretty promising to start off with. We were quite hopeful that things were going to be okay. And um, in fact, probably for the first decade of, of Mugabe's rule, um, things were pretty okay and a lot of people were going back there and thinking, no, this is, this is not too bad. What, um, what, what thing, what are things that you're talking well, about? You're talking about safety and the economy and things like that? Yeah, well, do you remember, I don't know if you know, but like uh, pre-1980, there'd been a big war, the War of Independence. So there was a massive war and... Um, there was, um, it was basically the, um, the white um, Rhodesian regime um, fighting against the, the black um, independence uh, guerrillas who, under Mugabe. And so there was a big, massive war there. My brother went to the army and, um, you know, luckily we just missed the army because we came out the year, year of independence. But um, everyone was a bit nervous that when Mugabe took over, there'd be... Um, there would be retaliation against the whites and there would be massive changes and that the economy would dip and all of this. And so a lot of people left. At the height of it, there was like 280,000 whites there um, out of a total of sort of, I think population was probably about 10 million then. Um, but so the first decade, it was, you know, everyone was, was encouraged and they carried on and, and um, the industry seemed to be working okay and 
as I say, people came back there. I went back there after varsity and, um, yeah, it was looking good. And then it was only in the early 90s when Mugabe decided to um, start taking away the white farms and he was getting stick from his his war veterans. That's with the ex-guerrilla fighters. They wanted more money and compensation, so he had to start paying them. And the wheels started to come off, off the economy. And um, I think from 96 onwards, it just really started to deteriorate. And that's when you started to see this mass, mass exodus of the whites. And um, they went from this population of 280,000, I believe there's now about 30,000. For an Australian listening to your story, you know, mm. we do live in a lucky country. Yeah. Um, there, there hasn't been any war here. We're, growing up like that, were you fearful? Do, do you live in fear when you when you live in a place like that and there's so much conflict around you, Ian? Well, when you actually look back on it, it was all a bit surreal. I mean, f- because we were growing up in it, it was kind of normal. But when you look back, I mean, when we traveled from one city to the other, we had to go in a convoy. There was like convoys with armed vehicles um, escorting us anywhere. Going out to farms and things like that was always a bit dodgy. So if we had to go and visit friends on farms, um, everyone usually was armed. And um, there was, you know, you had to, you wouldn't go anywhere if if there was any kind of hint that there might be trouble out there. So um, as I say, my brother was in the army. A lot of our friends were in the army. My dad was did a he doctor. make it through okay? Yeah, he did. Um, but I think everybody came out of the other end not quite the same. Yeah. Um, we noticed that a lot with a lot of our friends and unfortunately also lost a lot of our friends, the guys that were my seniors at school. A lot of them didn't make it. They, they went off to fight? Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, real, you know, fantastic guys. Their lives just cut short. You know, I just remember like this one guy who was the captain of rugby and just such a, a brilliant all-round guy. And he stood in a landmine and that was the end of that. Mm. And, you know, there was a lot of stories like that of guys who didn't make it through. Um, so it, yeah, it was a, it was a strange time. Um, in the cities we were generally safe. Um, we didn't feel too much part of it, but sanctions were then imposed on Rhodesia. And so there was a shortages of a lot of things, fuel rationing, and it was a wartime situation. And, um, there was also really interesting times in that there was a massive, uh, propaganda sort of campaign launched by the government to try and keep the whites there and to try and say don't worry you know we've we've got this when we're not going to be um you know we're not going anywhere i think ian smith was the prime minister the white prime minister and he said that never in a thousand years would would we would the the blacks take over the country and there was this general confidence and rhodesia actually i mean rhodesians um showed a resourcefulness second to none it was quite incredible because they had to you know they and um, so there's a lot of people starting up their own industries and just having to survive because we couldn't get stuff from outside so um, you had to make it yourself and yeah it was so there was a time of of growth but um, it came down to South Africa being the the closest neighbor Um, that was our border where everything was coming through and when South Africa eventually said because in, we're gonna we're gonna cut we're gonna stop you know close the border and there was no choice then but to capitulate and so that's what happened and and that's when Smith and Mugabe negotiated a peace and um, there was a transition period and it turned yeah from turned into Zimbabwe and 
as I said, things were going pretty well. But um, do you still have uh, much or many family members? Yeah, so my brother still lives yeah. there. My brother's still in Bulawayo. Any family. desire to leave, like you, to to? No, I think I think those guys are always going to be there. What, what keeps know? him there? Um, he, well, he obviously he knows about your life back in Australia and and the freedoms that we enjoy here. And yeah, there's you know we we don't have concerns about safety. What what keeps your brother there? Well, he's. Um, you know, he was a game ranger, and so he worked in the national parks there. The bush is, is really part of him. And um, he's since then, he's he's done a lot of um, jobs that are related to that. He he was a video videographer, and he um, he's now works in taxidermy because hunting is, is one of the industries that's um, still okay there. Um, so he's he's the market. He does marketing for a taxidermy company, and but his wife runs a, a school, like a Montessori preschool, and she's doing pretty well as well. So I think they they're kind of there. They've got a nice place. They've got a nice lifestyle. They have a life there. All their all their mates are there. Have they come to visit you? No, they haven't come. They haven't come out this far. No. And when was the last time you went back? Um, yeah, so that's quite interesting. When I go back, um, I haven't managed to go back to Zimbabwe yet I don't know that just seems a bit raw I don't know my I left I feel you know when I left there definitely left a part of myself behind there I was a real wrench to, to leave actually um, despite the fact that the economy was collapsing all around us and everything and there was so much violence and, and war I mean so you still think fondly well uh, yeah no so so we I mean we after after all the war and everything we when we went back we we actually ended up settling in Bulawayo this is now much later and building a house there and starting our own business and things were actually going all right we managed to get some overseas clients like World Vision we did a little small graphic design company and I was doing a lot of writing and proofreading and editing for them and we managed to to we were doing okay actually and we built a house there and and all of that but yeah there was everything else was deteriorating around us and the security situation started to get bad i remember we um we had to build a, a security fence around our place and we got to the point where we actually had radio contact with our neighbors and this kind of thing again yeah. it, it's it's a foreign concept for an australian born yeah. and bred yeah here to to hear you talk like that about security fences and radio contact yeah. Um, so when was it? When when was it that you decided uh, that you would move to Australia, and why Noosa? Yeah. Well, we we kind of stuck it out. You know, we stuck it out in Zimbabwe, thinking that things couldn't get worse for a long time, and they gradually did. And we had all that hyperinflation you've probably heard about, and you know, really things. Um, the whole infrastructure of the place was just collapsing around us. Um, and so we decided we. Put in our application for Australia um, because Lara's, my wife's parents, had come here before. So they, they'd been here for five years already living in Brisbane. And, of course, they were saying, come on, what are you doing? You know, come over here. It's great. And and um, Lara was keener than I was. I was kind of quite attached to Africa for a lot of reasons. My parents were there as well at the time. and They're still alive? Yeah, my dad's moved on, but my, my mom is um, still there. Um, but we moved my mum down to my sister in Cape Town. So she now lives in Cape Town. Yeah. But um, anyway, we, you know, we'd, we'd thought, okay, we'll apply for Australia, see what happens. So we got accepted, which was great. And then we, you're given five years to, to make the move or you lose it. It's use it or lose it. 
So we thought, okay, so we just hung around thinking, are things going to improve here in Zim? And they just, they didn't. And um, so the fifth year came along and we had to now make a decision. So we thought, okay, well, let's put our house on the market. This will be, you know, because it's pretty hard to sell a house in Zimbabwe for a decent price and um, put our house on the market. And we, I mean, we had built quite a special house there on right up on the top of a rock overlooking the country club. And it was a really nice place. We'd, you know, spent about two years building it and and um anyway it turned out one of the zimbabwe cricketers came in there and he just said i've got to have this house <laughs> and i've got to i want it exactly like it is i want all the furniture left and um i can pay you in australia and it was one of those things where well we just that was it the decision was made for us so we literally we took the photos out of the frames on the wall and we just left everything it was just as walked it was. away took our suitcases Came to move to Australia, and then um, what year was this? Uh, this was 2011, so we've been here about seven years. So you had a young son too, Sam. So yeah. Sam was born. Yeah, he was only in, two. Yeah, two when we came. So he's growing up in Aussie, but um, yeah, we came and and when Lara's parents were in Brisbane, and we had been to Noosa on holidays, and we worked for ourselves mainly, so we thought well, we can base ourselves anywhere really. So we thought. Hour and a half from Brisbane, you know, um, Sunshine Coast, you can't really beat it. So we came here and, um, yeah, I can't say it's been that easy. It hasn't been an easy transition. Anyone will tell you, you know, coming to a new country is, it takes a lot of um, adapting. And um, we, we had to try and make our business work. Suddenly everything was a lot more expensive. Um, We had we bought a house in Karoi and and because um, what we got for our house in Zimbabwe might have been good for Zimbabwe, but in Australian terms, it was just enough for a deposit on it a house. It sounded like yeah. a pretty sweet house, though. Over the one yeah, had but in still, Zimbabwe, still the, the prices vary so much that <laughs> yeah. um, that it was you know just a, a sort of deposit. Yeah. So you mentioned that you, you had worked in advertising. I know you, you you had written a couple of books as well, a couple of children's books. Mm-hmm. When did when did they happen, Ian? Yeah, so while I was in Zim, that sort of last five years that I was there, I wrote a, um, I wrote a children's adventure story um, to do with time travel. And I, I went, I tried to get it published and um, through the normal channels. But, but in the meantime, I was handing it out to kids and letting them read it. And I was getting such fantastic uh, feedback from the kids, but um, I couldn't get a publisher. So eventually I thought, no, I'm just going to do it myself. So I published it myself printed 2,000 copies, and then started going around all the schools in Zimbabwe and South Africa, just promoting the book, and, and I was just getting such fantastic feedback about this book. And um, it's, yeah, it's something, it's it's funny, it's um, it's actually something that I've gone back to now. Um, I've had, I've been away from it a lot. Mm-hmm. I think when we first came to Australia, we had to concentrate on just survival. Just so we were really much, you know, looking at um, how can we earn enough money, and so promoting our business, and um, and my own writing kind of went on the back burner for a little bit. But um, it's actually the the one thing I must say about Australia is that it's it's made us really um, pull finger. <laughs> we've we've realised you know there's no I think you know we look back on our time in Africa we had so much leisure time. 
I used to. I remember I used to watch rugby every afternoon. I mean, every weekend <laughs> afternoon, and all this kind of stuff. It just doesn't seem to happen here. Yeah, that's kind of odd to hear because you would you would think of the the Australian lifestyle as as affording you a lot of leisure time, a lot of sport time. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Well, I don't know how they do it because I mean we <laughs> we find that if we're not doing our own jobs to to earn the money, then I find that I'm spending most of my time doing my own writing. Yeah, but. But what it's done is that it's really motivated me to do my own writing properly, you know, really get into it. So, And when you talk about that writing, how many children's books all up? Okay, so I've written, well, I wrote that first one. It was called Wolf Storm. That was in, um, in, I wrote it in Africa. And I've promoted it here, actually. I've also been around a lot of schools in the area. And they've taken a few schools. Some of the top schools, actually, in the Sunshine Coast have taken it on as a school reader. Um, but... Um, I've also written five other books for, for World Vision, and they were books to do with um, warning kids about um, trafficking, human trafficking, the dangers of, of just going to get a job in another country. And um, so those have been excellent. I really enjoyed doing those. Um, one of them was one of those choose your own adventure, choose your own path books. Have you seen that where you get to yeah. the each, end of each chapter and it says, uh, what are you going to do? Are you yeah, going to yeah. do this or do that? And so you see where you end up at the end of the book, you know, make, got to make the right decisions. So I've loved that. Um, Let's but, talk about you dabbling in film. Yeah. Uh, so, that, that's a passion for you? Big time. Yeah. I, think, um, I think that's film. If you ask anybody who knows me, they'll, they'll tell you that. Um, I love movies so much. And I've been writing screenplays since for the last 25 years. And I've... Um, and it's been one of those things where, I, although I haven't actually had a, a feature film made, um, I did make my own small short film here in, since we've been here in Australia. That was part of uh, the Noose International Film Festival last year or the year before? The year before year it before. was shown, yeah, in 2016. Um, that was quite a interesting little experience just because um, it was the first film that I'd written and then directed. But it was, you know, it actually... It actually taught me, um, I think, that I didn't want to be a director. I, I much preferred writing. I didn't really enjoy. I mean, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the directing experience. It was a hang of an interesting working with the actors and setting up the locations and beautiful locations here in Noosa. And that was Angel. Yeah, it was called short, Angel, and it was filmed all in the Noosa National Park. Yep. Yeah. 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 We took a massive crane up to Hell's Gate and filmed a, a scene with a. Um, with a lady who was giving up on life, walking up to the cliff edge in Hell's Gate, and basically the, it was a short film, but we, you saw it in flashback, like what what she had gone through, and then something happens and she's she's safe, she doesn't jump. So um, it was a that was yeah that was a fun experience. But my main uh, passion has been to write feature films, and um, like I say, I, I wrote I think I wrote my first one. I wrote my first one actually just after I came to Thailand back in whenever that was, I went to Thailand, spent time on an island there, um, wrote this wrote this um, film about sort of semi-autobiographical about a boy boys at a boarding school in Africa with a war going on around with their elder brothers who had gone to the war and they were all going there the following year. And um, that year was the first year that there was an intake of black kids came to the school. So you had this f interesting dynamic going on between the boys and all, and all of that. And that's actually what happened with us. Wow. 
and um so that was that was my first my first script i wrote it i took it to london and i i thought oh well let's shop this around a bit took it to took it to quite a few people getting a lot of no sorry and then and then someone um optioned it in london and um suddenly i was with this director and he wanted to make it and we were doing rewrites and everything and i couldn't believe it this was my first attempt and and i think that really put the hook in because although nothing developed um they could the finance fizzled on that they couldn't couldn't raise enough finance um you're bitten by the bug i was bitten yeah and um and since then although it's been i've been working at it a long time there's been little things like that that have happened along the way where i've it keeps encouraging me to carry on because I wrote another one, which um, which then won an award at the Cape Town Film Festival for the screenplay, and then and then I wrote another one when I got to Australia actually and and, and um, submitted it to a, a to the to the Nickel Fellowship um, Academy, which is the the Oscars of of screenplays, and I got. I was a quarter finalist in that, so that's top five percent out of seven thousand. So was that the one where you worked closely with the South African animation company? No, so that was a that was a different thing actually. Um, so that was Triggerfish Animation in Cape Town, and they launched a thing called the Story Lab, which um, they put it out there. They wanted they were looking for interesting stories to for their next animation film, and there was yeah there was one thousand four hundred um, entries. And then they chose twenty, and you're um, one of those twenty. Yeah, so luckily I was yeah. I was chosen, and so went to Cape Town for a month and worked with Triggerfish and developing our projects. And unfortunately, out of the twenty, they only chose four to go forward, and mine wasn't one of the four. But still, so, that that having been chosen as one of one of those twenty, uh, still yeah. gives you that drive, that motivation, and and that taste for to, sure to, to continue. Yeah, and you've kept up a relationship with Triggerfish, uh, where they have um, what? How would you say critique or coach? Uh, you along with some of the scripts that you're working on in? Yeah, so they they now they now running something like a, a seminar thing that comes every few months, and so we go online and um, they have a lot of interesting people talking about animation and what to do and what not to do, and and um, so that's been good. And um, as I've developed my ideas, I've then I've also pitched them again online, so it's an ongoing process. And in fact, I've. I think my my idea is getting more and more um, refined and getting closer to what, what it should be. I mean, making an animated movie is a big deal. It's a huge investment of time and money. You know, they usually take years to make, so not many of them are made. So it's really got to be right. When they know they're going to make it, it's got to be right. Um, so I'm working I'm working on that, but that's one of the one of the yeah i've got quite a few projects that i'm working on actually at the moment do you want to talk about the galloper or is it kind of under wraps no no so <laughs> definitely can talk about the galloper so um the galloper is is the what i've been focused on the most over the last two years it's an idea that i developed with a, a south african film producer his name's michael Rett, and um we we knew that we wanted to write a movie about this period in in Rhodesia's history. It was it's actually 1893 when there was white settlers there, and they moved into what is now Zimbabwe, and they came up against the warring Indebeli nation under King Lobengula, and it was such a fantastic time. It was a really interesting historical period. A lot of stuff went on that was interesting, but we never knew quite how to tell the story because. 
it's a colonial story and you, you we couldn't we couldn't show it the way that movies like Zulu were made you, I don't know if you remember Zulu and and with Michael Caine and all Rara the Empire and all that this was um, we needed to show it show both sides of the story so um, so then I stumbled upon a, across this fact that one of the few survivors from this um, from this this patrol that went across the Shangani River it was called the Shangani Patrol um, and it became very well known in Rhodesian folklore um, one of the few survivors was an Australian and so this Aussie guy had gone over there and um, he had been in the thick of it and he had survived so I suddenly realized we now had a protagonist that could be in the middle of in the thick of it all and could could actually show it um, from an impartial viewpoint so you could show both sides so a little bit like um, Dances with Wolves Kevin Costner mm. you saw the Indian side of it through him excuse me <clears throat> um, so with this guy Will Will Gooding his name was um, we could we could show both the white side and the black side and um, so we've Mike and I have developed this project over the last two years. I've written four drafts, and um, we've finally got to a point where we think it's now right to to go to put it out there. To so Mike's in Hollywood at the moment, actually. He's, he's your producer, yeah, so or, he's, or a producer that's that's taken on this uh, project, yep. and said, "Now I will uh, raise uh, finance funding. Is that right? And, yep. and get all the team players together. Yeah, right. So he's." Um, when you've got a project like this, you've got to um, put a package together to make it uh, attractive to fin financiers. So he's over there at the moment. The first thing we want to we're trying to do at the moment is get a director. Once we get the the right director, we we can then start to attract talent. Hopefully, we've got a a few big names that we're obviously looking for. We're aiming high, and um, and then once we've got that package together. Um, we can actually start to hopefully um, um, attract the investment. They, you know, they're not cheap these movies to make. But can I be, can I be rude and ask? I mean, that from what you're describing, this sounds you could describe it as an epic yeah. film. So, what kind of what kind of dollars are we talking about? Well, in actual fact, most of it will be shot in South Africa. So, with a little bit in in Zimbabwe, we hope if we're allowed to, um, and. You know, relative to other places in the world, South Africa is 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 quite cheap. So, and the rand is quite weak at the moment. And um, so, when the money's coming in US, the the budget um, is not like some of these other big the big blockbuster movies that you hear these incredible eighty, ninety million, hundred million, and um, you know budgets. Um, we think we can do it for under thirty million. And um, but you're right. I mean, it's it's going to require building a fort. It's Fort Victoria, and it's also going to require building Bulawayo, which is the capital of <laughs> um, which of the Indebeli Nation. So there's two big sets there, and then there's um, yeah a lot of extras. Yeah, and so there's there's a it's it's a big production for sure. And would you would you be eligible for Australian funding? Yeah, so that's what we're doing at the moment as well. Is that we. Um, because I'm now an Australian, and we've we've got another Australian producer who's looking like he's interested in going in as a co-production. So we'll then, and we're also thinking about we're trying to we're looking at some Australian directors. So the more Australia and our main one of our main actors that we're looking at is also Australian. Um, so if there's a lot of Australian um, 
people involved. So like a quota, and then yeah. you, you can put the financing. Or, then then the we request. can go to we go to Screen Australia right. and Screen Queensland, and we can get development funding. And that, so we're looking to definitely looking to get some of that. How do you keep your um, oh, the motivation, I guess, or the the excitement and the interest on a project that that spans such a long time? I know, you know, just from doing the podcast, it's a day to day, week to week thing, yeah. and you've got to keep this um, the the belief, the enthusiasm for so long, because it's a slow burn on a project like this, isn't it, Ian? It is. It is. And so, what um, keeps you going every day to go? Yes, I mean you. you, you Mentioned before that you, mm. you've already done it, your fourth draft. Yeah. And that's a fair bit of work. Well, when I, I think what I saw, you know, Banksy, the, um, the graffiti artist. Yeah. I think, I think, I think he did said something like, um, when you're tired, don't give up, just take a rest. And that to me is, is works because you step away from it just for a bit. And, um, and next time you go back to it, the enthusiasm is back there. You know, the, I'm, I'm passionate about the story, and um, I can just see it on the big screen, and so I'm, you know, it's my it's my passion. It's where it's what I want to do. I've, what I've been working towards for so long, and uh, the old cliche of what gets you out of bed in the morning, yeah. you know, because like, I wake up, and it's my best time for writing is the first two hours in the morning, yeah. and I get straight to my desk, and I and I, I just I don't know the enthusiasm just remains. It has been tiring, like. Um, with four drafts and but what I think I've got better at is collaboration because one of my earlier earlier movies that I've been working on when people started criticizing and saying well have you thought about changing that changing that I was very resistant but on this one um, it's been much better because I've I've been taking on board the the criticism and the the advice and um, and I think it's definitely a better screenplay for it. Yeah. You live in Noosa with your family. Um, are, you, are you surrounded by creatives here, Ian? Are there people with similar interests that you can bounce off and, and, and talk to about your project, like like script writing? Yeah, that's it's funny. I mean, I like I say, I made that short film, so I was working with a, a mate, Anthony Park, there, who's very into it, and yeah, so it was interesting talking to him a lot. But he's more on the technical side. Um, on the on the actual screenwriting side, um, it was funny at at the school where my son goes. Um, there's another there's another dad there, and um, he also writes. He's an American and he he writes screenplays. So we've been getting together, and he's been reading mine. I've been reading his, and we meet for coffee, and we we I think it's really healthy giving each other feedback. You've got to check your ego at the door. Yeah. This is always the important thing. Because nothing has been said, you know, as criticism. It's just purely like I really think this will be better. Have you thought about this and thought about that? So um, it's been great. It's been great collaborating. And, and, with but that's one. surprising, isn't it? That you would yeah. find another uh, and an American uh, who who would and and hopefully I want to talk to John Coppola in, a, yeah. in a future episodes mm. that you would find and again two dads at the same school. Yep. and have this interest and share this passion for film. Yeah, my kids are in the same class. <laughs> and script writing. Well, that's great. Tell, tell me a little bit more about Noosa, though. What, what do you love about, about being here, about living in this part of the world? Well, what's, you know, for me, um, I confess that I'm not the most social of, of butterflies. I'm not a, not a, <laughs> um, I don't, you know, go out that much. And we don't know that many people, to be honest. You know, we've got a few good mates Do you find here it a bit clicky um, to make friends? 
A little bit, a little bit. Um, but it's probably a lot of it I blame on ourselves because we don't put ourselves out there a lot. But a lot of creatives are, are they're not they're not extroverts because yeah. you're you, you know you're into your work you're into the creative whether you're a painter or a writer mm. that's your passion and and that's that's why i think you know that's the outlet for a creative it's because i don't we don't put ourselves out there a lot and and i kind of do that on purpose in a way because um well for example yesterday afternoon i got on my bike and rode in the forest for for two hours wet and muddy and fantastic you know i <laughs> I've got this whole new story going on in my head, and it just I've had some really good thoughts along the way. Is that where the ideas come for you? Yeah, um, often that or driving or walking in Noosa National Park. Spending time alone. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I, I really I love it. Eh? And um, so I've always been quite comfortable with my own company. Noosa, I mean, Noosa's got a lot to offer in that respect. You know, we've we've got the forests right there, literally 10 minutes ride from our front door straight into these forests. It's, you know, really beautiful. And then the beaches and Sam, my son, he loves the beaches. And so we, you know, go down there a lot. And there's a lot to offer, you know, there's a lot to offer. We, we When we go into the city, although it's great to go into Brisbane just every now and again, you know, after four days or so, we're ready to get out of there. I and mean, we're not we're not city people. We, could could you contemplate leaving? You might have to move to LA. Would, would you? Uh, <laughs> would you leave? No, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> that'd have to be a pretty good reason. Yeah. You know, I think we've got. We're lucky with what we got here. You know, everything is. Everything works so well. Everything is clean, and the people are nice. We've got such lovely neighbours. I think last time we spoke, uh, you mentioned—is it Screen Queensland? Yep. Do you, you you go to a few get-togethers in Brisbane when it comes to uh, also connecting with with people, yeah. that, those creatives in, in the film side of things? What what do you get out of out of? Yeah, that? I actually need to do that more. You know, I've only been to a couple of those, but usually when Screen Queensland, they every now and again they have a get-together, um, and it's. It's really just about meeting other people that are trying to break into the industry or already in the industry, and networking is the thing that you know that we are, I miss out on a lot of that being out here. Been to a few of those, and I've been to a few Screen Screen Australia ones as well. Actually, met the, the head of Screen Australia, and so she knows about the Gallup already, and we um, we're going to be putting that in there soon. Um, what would the one piece of advice be? Uh, if someone's contemplating uh, a career like yours as a maybe as a writer as a script writer or or work in film i think you've got to have a another means as well because it's a long road i think almost every screenwriter will tell you that they don't do that full time they're trying to do something else as well so i'm really lucky in that um i do other writing for f to, to earn a keep i think you've got to have something else going on at the same time you can't just focus on screenwriting in my case i'm lucky that my the kind of the writing that i do i do commercial writing so I, I write all sorts of things for different people and so it's kind of it's honing my skills i feel that it's kind of contributing i would say definitely you've got to you've got to have something to fall back on like that so that but that was really from my advertising background my copywriting background it's a bit of a struggle here sometimes working for yourself very up and down our work is very seasonal especially as World Vision is one of our main clients and they go through busy times and, and, and lean times. At least the work is enough just to pay our mortgage and everything so that it just gives me enough time to concentrate on my, my own writing at the same time, you know, but you've got to, it's a balance, it's always a balance of I'm going to have to just leave my own writing alone for a bit and just concentrate yeah. on earning some more money. And what about Lara, your, your wife? What mm. kind of support and what kind of 
because um, it is a long road. Yeah. So she must be an incredible partner and, and supporter of you and your Definitely. work. Yep. Um, have there ever been times? And again, I'm just asking from, you know, where she's gone. Ah, oh, Ian. You want to give up those ideas, or that? <laughs> yeah. Does she ever? Yep. Say, has she ever said that to you? I, I don't know if you've ever noticed at the Oscars where there's always that <laughs> those those winners always say, "I'd like to thank my wife." <laughs> they put up with so much. Put up with so much, <laughs> and for being with me and sticking with me and supporting because it is. It's a long road, and yeah. I promise you, the amount of times Lara's heard me whinging about. I'm battling on a script and, you know, I don't know where this is going and, and all this. And she really has stuck with me. And and also through her graphic design work, um, that's what keeps us going often a lot of the time. And so it's hugely important to have that support. And I'm sure there has been times when she's said, you know, when she's thought to herself, you know, is this going anywhere? But she, it's not something she expresses to me, you know, and she always supports me and always listens to me and gives good advice. Uh, I'm really lucky in that respect. All right. Ian Pugh, thank you so much. Terrific to chat. I really appreciate you coming in. There'll be fresh interviews on our website every Monday and every Thursday. If you enjoyed this interview, please feel free to share it with family and friends on social media and make sure you keep coming back to our website and check out the new uh, podcasts each week in noosamagazine.com.au forward slash conversations.